Oh, night uh, divine. I don't need to, uh, probably in a room like this, tell anyone what night we were thinking about. But you know, not every night is as divine or as angelic as that one. Take a night, for example, in the year 2000 in a suburb of Rochester, New York, where a man by the name of Peter Lovenheim was out walking his dog. He was surprised to discover a TV news truck stationed, parked on his block. Lovenheim had no idea what was going on and was surprised to discover that a neighbor from some three doors down had purchased a gun, shot his wife before turning the gun on himself. Lovenheim was basically horrified. He heard that the two young children of the couple had escaped from the house, screaming into the night. Lovenheim was shocked. Not simply that something so barbaric could happen just a few doors away from him in a typical American suburb, but more to the fact that there was obviously little true community that existed in the place where he lived. Lovenheim knew the family only slightly, not nearly well enough to know that trouble was brewing. Soon, a for sale sign appeared in front of the house and the neighborhood. Well, that continued pretty much as it had done before. Lovenheim would write, a family had vanished, and yet the impact on our neighborhood was only slight. He wrote those words in a book he penned about the experience called In the Neighborhood. And in that book, Lovenheim asked himself, how could this be? Did I live in a community or in a house on a street surrounded by people who lived entirely separate lives? You see, the people on the street were professionals. The couple that died were physicians. People Levenheim declared to prized their privacy. And that was part of the problem. And Levenheim asked himself, what would it take to penetrate the obvious barriers that exist between us? That's a great question for us today, isn't it? Over the last number of weeks as a church, we have asked this question, what will it take for us to celebrate, not just as a church, but as a community, Christmas United? What would it take to penetrate the obvious barriers that exist between us? A number of months ago, I've shared with our congregation that I've Since the Lord giving a word to me where he said, Craig, the America after the election will be much more divided than the America before it. So that question, what would it take to penetrate the obvious barriers that exist between us? Do we live in communities or do we live in a collection of isolated houses. 
You see, between 1974 and 1998, the frequency with which Americans spent a social evening with their neighbors shrunk by over one-third. Robert Putnam, in a groundbreaking work entitled Bowling Alone, discovered that the decline actually started some two decades earlier, so that in the early 2000s, the connections that existed in neighborhoods were actually over half of what they used to be in the 1950s. And so, Levenheim, in response to this, did what any typical American living in a suburb would do. He approached his neighbors and asked, could I sleep over? <laughs> Seriously, that's exactly what he did. He went to each of the 36 neighbors on his block, and he asked them, could I spend the night with you and the following day just so that I could get to know you and you could get to know me? Lovenheim is the... Example of an author who sleeps over in order to be known. If we think about it, a similar situation existed over 2,000 years ago when God surveyed the scene on earth and noted how violence and isolation had impacted every nation, every race, every culture. He surveyed that human neighborhood and he saw that it was as fractured then as it is right now with people separated from God, their creator, but also alienated from the people they live among. Even alienated from the people they live with. And so God decided to do what no one ever expected a divine being to do. God decided to sleep over. That's the wonder of Christmas. The first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, tells us of God's sleepover through focusing on the story of a young man by the name of Matthew, of Joseph. And Joseph was engaged to a lady by the name of Mary. And one day, Mary came to Joseph and said, Joseph, I'm pregnant. I would love to have been a fly in the wall with this conversation. Joseph, she said, before you start thinking anything, God came to me and he told me that I'm pregnant, not because I have voluntarily given up my virginity to someone, but because the Holy Spirit has birthed in me and tasked me to carry the Christ into the world. Joseph was a little puzzled by this. The text tells us that Mary goes off and, and visits Elizabeth, and Joseph is now on his own in his home, figuring out, what on earth do I do with a story like this? And it's into his home one night that an angel pays a visit and decides to sleep over and says these words, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That was a sleepover that would change Joseph's life. And it's a sleepover that has the potential to change every life on the face of this planet if we'd only do business with what this verse tells us. You see, because the angel would go on to say, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Peter Lovenheim recorded his story, his journey in the book I'm holding in my hand here, a book called In the Neighborhood, a search for community on an American street, one sleepover at a time. What a brilliant idea. And at the end of the book, Lovenheim gets to spend some time with Patty, a young mother who was raising a few young children on her own. She'd been diagnosed with cancer that would eventually kill her, and she had no support structure around her apart from the community that Peter Lovenheim had begun to establish. Listen to what Lovenheim writes in the context, context of the words on the screen. He writes these words. When I arrived, Patty was sleeping. So I just sat in a rocking chair beside her bed. The house was still. I thought, how strange. Here I am, the only person watching over a neighbor who until recently I hadn't even known. And likely never would have known, but for the deliberate decision to meet her. Levenheim would go on a few pages later and say these words. In all, I had contact in one way or another with nearly half of the 36 households on my street. Most neighbors I'd learned wanted more or less the same thing, to live among others with a sense of common humanity expressed through a willingness to know and to be known. Isn't that what most of us want? Isn't this part of the joy of Christmas that we get to spend time with family? Why do we enjoy it so much? Because deep built, ingrained into each and every one of us is this desire to know and be known. And the wonder, the miracle of the Christmas story is that God wants to be known. He wants you to know Him. The wonder of the Christmas story is that the, the solution to the barriers that exist between us and God, between us and each other, is none other than to welcome not just an angel in a home for a sleepover, but God Himself, not just into our world, not just into our town, not even into our home, but into our hearts. You see, the wonder of Christmas is not that God wants to sleep over. The wonder of Christmas is that this is Emmanuel, God with us, now and forevermore. It's as if God is saying, folks, I don't want you to prepare a bed in the guest room. What I need you to do is to build an addition because I'm moving in and I'm here to stay. That's the wonder of Christmas. God is here 
Emmanuel, God with us now and forevermore. And so what does it take to remove the barriers between us? The Christian faith says it takes the willingness to open the doors of our homes to other people. But firstly, it all begins with the willingness to open the doors of our hearts and welcome God in. Folks, we all know that our neighbors can be a pain. Wouldn't you agree? You know, we all know what it's like to live around neighbors who play their music too loud at night. They never mow their lawn in the summer, and they never clear their snow in the winter. If you live around me, you know what it's like for my two dogs, my Dalmatians, to run free from my yard and trample all over your flowers. We all know that neighbors can be a pain. But are we willing in this Christmas season to acknowledge that we can be a real pain too? Are we willing to acknowledge that all too often through life we're we're driven to, to go after things in a selfish way, thinking of ourselves, and when we do that, we put up barriers that separate us from God and separate us from the true humanity that God has called us to express. Are we willing to acknowledge that this Christmas we can be real pains too? But the good news of Christmas that we celebrate is the solution to all of this, the pain of our neighbors, the pain that we cause other people, is God's action. In response to all of this, God doesn't decide to move on. God doesn't decide to move out. No, God decides to move in. And our response to this is simply to welcome Him. So in this Christmas season, as we behold that star of Bethlehem, as we ponder again and we consider again the Word of God that became flesh, as we hear those songs that say, unto us a child is born, the Savior of a broken world, as we hear all of these things, angels singing, oh come, let us adore Him. Let's remember, in a very broken world, in a very divided nation, what we celebrate here is peace has come. Because our God, our King, is with us. He's moved in. Will you welcome Him? You know, to to say that uh, Joseph was in a unique uh, position is is a massive understatement, isn't it? God trusted this man of character and integrity with a lot. But that doesn't mean there's not a struggle. God engineers struggles at times to cause us for that mustard seed of faith to swell up within us. And sometimes the journey to come to Jesus is wearisome. Because you see, we're born into darkness because of sin. But then, of course, there's the light of the gospel. Think think about how Joseph and what he must have been processing here. This is what he had heard. The love of your life 
the one that you want to spend the rest of your life with is pregnant, and you weren't part of it. Think about the human side, the emotional side. He must have stepped back and taken a deep breath, and maybe they wondered and thought among himself, wow, this is uh, this from God, but I don't think I quite understand it, but I'm going to believe it and I'm going to embrace it. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And then think about the fact that he also was going to become the earthly parent of Jesus. The attachment that he must have had, the joy he must have had in watching him grow up, but knowing the baby was destined to grow up to die. That his connection with his son, that his son, his earthly son, even though he was a son of God, would one day be crucified. Because that was the purpose of why Jesus came. He came to take your place and my place. He came to redeem us, to ransom us. So you could leave this place today different. Yeah, that's unusual. But it's just how God operates. It doesn't always make sense. Why wasn't it what God just said, go join a church, get baptized, and that'll be enough. And when you die, we'll celebrate. He said, no, there has to be an answer for sin. And it has to be my son because he's the perfect unblemished Lamb of God, and He will shed His blood for you. The treasure of heaven, the jewel of glory, stepped out of heaven into our world to say, I have a plan that's better than yours, larger than yours, for eternity and for here and now, and you don't have to leave this place the way you came in. It says in verse 20 here that Joseph considered these things. I'll bet you he did. As you're considering right now, what will you do? Look at the next word after he considered these things. There it is, jumping off the pages from our mind to our heart. Behold, behold. That's right here and now, you, God speaking to you, live stream, speaking to you in the box, speaking to you in the gallery, speaking to you behind me, you on this lower floor. Behold, he had a dream. And then he had a decision to make. You see, it's not enough just to gather the information. God does things in a strategic way. He sets us up to hear truth. He sets our hearts up, our minds up, the, the melody of the music, the surround sound, the talent, the gifting, the lyric, and the word all comes together for God to say, now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of your salvation, not tomorrow. Yesterday you had a chance, but because I'm good and I'm faithful and I will pursue you like the hounds of hell because I want you to know my son, but I will not force you, I will not make you. As Joseph had to, by faith, embrace something that was difficult and challenging, and he did, because it says right here in verse 24, and when he woke up from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He obeyed God. Not always easy. That's why it requires faith. It doesn't always make sense. But he obeyed God. And I, I've wondered at times on that Revelation 3.20, how, how do you explain this? Well, how do you 
take such a lofty, simple, beautiful, incredible, inspired truth, and how do you bring it down to where even a, even a child can understand what does it sound like? What does it feel like what God is doing right now and drawing you to himself? What is it like? I love to use children as an illustration because they're so simple, so trusting, and yet they ask the hard questions. These two little boys one day gathered together, and their goal that day was to fly a kite. So they pulled their money together, purchased a kite, put it together themselves, put a tail on the kite, took it into an open field, and all they were hoping for, the kite wasn't real pretty, but it was theirs. And all they were hoping for was just a little gust of wind to give it lift so that it would fly. They wanted to fly their kite. And sure enough, after a while of struggle, like a little wounded butterfly, finally the kite birthed wings and took off. And it began to soar farther and farther and farther towards the heavens. And then finally it took off and went so far, the boys couldn't see it. A man came walking by and thought he was going to have some fun at the expense of the kids. And so he said, uh, boys, what you doing? They said, well, we're flying a kite. He said, well, I don't see a kite. Do you see a kite? Mm-mm, I don't see a kite. Well, well son, if, if I can't see a kite, you can't see a kite. Are you sure it's up there? He said, yes, sir. He said, you know, mister, he said, you can't see it, I can't see it, but I know my kite is up there because even though I can't see it, I can, I can still feel its tug. And that's what God does, is he tugs at your heart through circumstances. He tugs at your heart by the Holy Spirit of God to say, come on in, come to the cross, trust my son. Step out with that, even that little mustard seed of broken, weary, dark, and come into the light of not a perfect life till you get to heaven, but a changed life between now and then. A forgiveness, a peace, purpose, and a reason to want to wake up tomorrow. Can we all pray together, please, as our every head is bowed for a moment, please, and our eyes are closed. And, what I'd like to do is just guide you towards Him. Because right now, God in heaven is tugging. He's been tugging. And we know the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Time after time after time, chance after chance, today, right now, in this place, live stream, listen very carefully. In a moment, I'm just going to verbalize a very simple prayer. It's not my prayer. It's not a preacher's prayer. It's not a church's prayer. It's just an expression of your heart. God hears words, but he also knows the desire and the intent of your heart. And you that are sitting there today or listening, don't do this unless you're serious. This isn't checking some to-do list off. This is turning from our sin. Embracing the Christ of the cross that was crucified for you and me and calling upon him because there's no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved but by the name of Jesus. So right now, would you just talk to God? And let me just point you in that direction. Would you pray this to the Father or something like this? Father in heaven, thank you 
for sending Jesus Christ to die for me on a cross. God, I know I have sinned against you. But for some reason, you loved me so much that Christ Jesus, your son, left heaven for 33 years, lived on this earth, and then ultimately died on a cross for me. Jesus Christ, I ask you by faith, the best way I know how right now, save me. I surrender. I yield my life to you, Jesus Christ, here and now. As our heads are bowed just a moment longer and our eyes are closed, one last question I would like to ask you. If you, in faith, stepped out and embraced Christ today, if you said yes to Him the best way you know how, and the intention of your heart was to say yes, if you did that, would you do something right now all over this room? Would you lift your heads up and look at me right now? Just pop your heads up all over this room. In this section, yes. In this section, yes. Up in the gallery right here. Just look at me. I can see you. All right, the gallery over here. Thank you. Up on the balcony. Just look right here at me just for a moment. Thank you. Now, let me give you guys a promise that are looking up at me right here. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, the Bible, God's inspired, perfect word, he said this. For whosoever, that's you guys in the gallery and the balcony on this lower floor, watching by live stream, and maybe even behind me, God says, for whosoever shall call, that's just simply prayer, upon the name of the Lord Jesus, the name above every name, the name we've been worshiping today. Now you're connected, and Christmas will take on a whole new meaning because the Christ of Christmas that died on the cross, was resurrected three days later, just entered your life because the prayer of faith for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be rescued and saved. God bless you. You may put your heads down. Church, all of you looking right here, join me in celebrating this morning that in so many lives, of so many different backgrounds, so many different stories, and so many different places, many in this house today, and by watching by live stream, just said yes to Christ. Let's give God praise. Let's give Him thanks. He alone is worthy. This is why we do what we do. Amen? Yes, bless Him. He's worthy of it. For you in the balcony, the lower floor, uh, the gallery that prayed to receive Christ, there's some Bibles over here, very nice Bibles that we want to give to you as a gift to say thank you for being here. This is the road map. This is how you feed yourself. It's milk. It's meat. It's life. It's a map. It's a love letter. And you need to communicate with Him. We'd love to give you a free Bible to my right and your left. Give God thanks after the service. Amen.